You ever feel like sometimes in doing what you do day to day that you're just spinning your wheels? You may ever feel like you're just spinning your wheels, you don't make any progress? That tends to happen to a lot of people, a lot of us. We, we feel like we're, we're not doing what we were created to do. You know, it feels like you're not doing enough. You're not accomplishing enough. You're not making as big of an impact as you thought you would. Um, but there's more to it than our initial perception of what's going on in that. Because we've all been called to do something by God. Called to do it. Called, designed for it. Fulfilling your calling is, is doing what you were designed to do. Is doing what you were created to do. And there's, a, there's several different kinds of callings. There's lifelong calling, something that fulfills your entire life that God created you to do your whole life. But there's a lot in the, in, in the process of living our lives. There's a lot of what I'll call seasonal callings, that there are calling for a particular period of time, just that season of life. It's our calling. I mean, like for us right now, you know, we've got five kids, variety of ages, uh, Caleb is about to turn 12 in a month, and uh, right now, as an 11-year-old about to turn 12, my calling is to be the father of an 11-year-old about to turn 12, of one who just turned 10, of one who's 7, one who's 3, and one who's 1. It's my, my job, my responsibility, my seasonal calling for each of those five to be the father for them in this moment, and they're all vastly different, as you know, if you've got more than one kid. All different personalities, all different, you know, uh, responses to situations, uh, and, and it's m part of my calling right now in this season to be the father they need, each of them individually, not, you know, it, not to apply the calling I have to be the father of Caleb is, is vastly different than it is to be the father of Liam, who's seven, totally different. I can't apply the calling that I've got in this situation to this situation because it's different. I've got to use it different. So there's seasonal callings, but there's also a lifelong calling. And part of that for me is preaching. I remember distinctly, I was telling somebody a week or so ago about the situation. I was 12. I can remember God saying, you are going to be a preacher at 12. And I did not acknowledge that for a while. Uh, I, 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 I disguised it with, oh, God's calling me to ministry, to do some sort of ministry. But I know, look, I can, I can almost audibly hear his voice, what he said to me there, sitting in Falls Creek, Oklahoma, at camp, in those pews with people passing out because it's so hot. I can hear him. And that is a lifelong calling. And when you don't fulfill your calling, there is this discontentment that, that, boils up within you that you can't get rid of. I remember in the musical 1776, John Adams says it this way. He says, I reek of discontentment. It just pours off of me because I'm not fulfilling what I was called to do right now. And when we run from our callings, that takes place. It's not just discontentment. It is restlessness. We can't you know, do what we're called to do. And so we're trying to do too many other things because we're not settled into what God has for us whether it's our lifelong calling or a seasonal calling. There are seasonal callings, and, and in those seasonal callings, there's always an expiration date on those seasonal callings, and they have to pass. Sometimes we cling to what was our calling, even though we're in a new season now, and we mistake, oftentimes, a seasonal calling for a lifelong one. We can't 
do that. And what we're going to see today in Matthew chapter 1 is a calling on a guy that would be his calling for the rest of his life that was profound, that he did not understand at the outset. But his calling would impact us today, even if we don't see it often enough. Matthew chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Um, it's on, you can go to our website, find all the notes and scripture and everything there, uh, Church, and uh, it's in the bulletin, it'll be on the screen. Uh, Matthew chapter 1. Last week we took a look at the beginning of the Christmas story, the angel Gabriel coming to Mary, uh, and Mary, a teenage girl, telling her that she has been called to, ha- to give birth to the Son of God and then dedicate the rest of her life to raising him. And he, his life would ultimately end in torture and death, but then he would raise from the dead. And so she w- w- was told this. She doubted her role in that process, but the angel Gabriel told her, well, it's, it's not about you, it's about God's presence in you that will bring this about. And so Mary listened and was available and willingly followed God's plan. But in that process, Mary is betrothed to a man named Joseph. And Joseph has no idea the Holy Spirit came through an angel and told this to Mary. Because the way betrothal worked back then, you know, we don't get betrothed today. I mean, we get engaged today. It's similar but different. It, it, it is similar in that you, you um, acknowledge your intent to marry someone, a lot of times, the, the parents will arrange the deal in the first century. The parents would arrange it. Um, it's not like, you know, you see in movies sometimes. They would, more often than not, take into consideration the opinions and, and feelings of their kids in arranging these marriages. And so they would arrange it, and the betrothal would last, more often than not, up to a year. And they still lived separately in their houses, but legally they were considered married. So you had to go through a legal process to be separated, to break up, to get divorced, even though they're engaged, even though they're betrothed, even though they're not living together, nothing none of that has taken place. It's a legal process. It is a, a promise during this year period to get married. And then at the end of the year, there would be a huge party that would last for days. And they would come together on the first day, and they would have a marriage ceremony. And then the husband and wife now would go off, and they would come back. And the reception, basically what we do now, a reception, would last for two, three, four, a week Uh, days, a week, and it would be a party for the whole community in their little part of the world. And so Mary and Joseph are in the middle of this betrothal uh, period when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, you're going to give birth to Jesus. And so they're not together, you know, constantly every day, but Joseph is going to hear about this. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. She was found to be with child. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Joseph. We, we, we can surmise that at some point during Jesus' lifespan, Joseph dies. Because when Jesus gets to the cross and he's being crucified, we, we discover that responsibility for care of Mary has fallen to Jesus as her firstborn. And that's because Joseph's no longer around. And so at some point between this point and that, he dies. 
But here he is. And so this would be his, what we're going to read here is going to be his mission for the rest of his life. And so he's there in Nazareth, and it says, Mary was found to be with child. And that implies in that phrase, she was found, that implies that Mary didn't go and tell Joseph, well, you know, this is what happened, and the angel came, and this is the fulfillment of, you know, uh, uh, centuries and centuries of prophecies. It was discovered, obviously, she was, you know, showing, I guess, and rumor mill spreads in a small town. That was only first century. Rumors don't spread in small towns today. That was back then. And so the rumor spreads, Mary's pregnant, and she's not been around Joseph, so it's not his kid. And the rumor gets to Joseph, and he hears this issue. It's like I said, we don't know a whole lot about him. There's one verse that says that Joseph's job was to do what? Anybody know it? Joseph was a carpenter. Carpenter. And so it's assumed that Jesus was a carpenter, even though Scripture never says Jesus was a carpenter. The actual word that is translated carpenter is only used to refer to Joseph in this one particular instance. He's a carpenter, it says. Carpenter. Now, when you think of carpenter, what do you think a carpenter works with more often than not? Wood, right? You hear carpenter, you think he's a woodworker. I did a little research on this word because I heard somebody talk about it not too long ago, and I was blown away. The word doesn't mean woodworker at all, and that's part of it. The literal translation of that word means builder, a worker with wood, stone, and metal. That wood is, is part of the issue, but that's not just it. He, he, he works in all kinds of things. He's very skilled in what he does with wood, with stone, with metal. He's an all-around, very skilled guy when it comes to working with his hands. And most likely, even though it, Scripture doesn't say Jesus learned this trade in being raised in Joseph's household, he would have you know, learned some of this and, and been raised in among this. And uh, it's, it is fascinating that Jesus would learn about building things from Joseph, even though he is the very one who built the trees and built the rocks and built the things that were developed into uh, all of the metal work and all these things. And so he's, he's there and learning from Joseph how to fashion stones into something phenomenal, even though he, Jesus, is the cornerstone of our faith. And so Joseph, a woodworker, a builder, a, a stone mason, a metal worker, he finds himself, even though Mary was the one found to be with child here in verse 18, Joseph finds himself in a hard situation. He finds himself in a difficult situation. He is now having to grieve his anticipated life. He anticipated that life was going to turn out in one particular way. He was looking forward to married life with Mary. It was going to look in a certain way. He was picturing it in his head. But now all of a sudden, Mary is pregnant. Joseph knows the baby is not his. He has no idea where the baby came from. Uh, but he begins to surmise and draw assumptions and draw conclusions about the situation. And, and in doing so... Everything that he had anticipated life was going to look like is now dead in his mind. He, he's grieving that loss uh, that is now what he is, is having to, to walk through. His life, though, was going to take a turn that he never thought about, take a turn he never anticipated. You know, it's not only that the baby's father is, is not Joseph, it is 
God. And so it's not just that you know, Mary is pregnant with, with a, a baby of someone else, and so he's now having to think about what that life is going to look like, uh, being the, the spurned one here in this situation, at least what he thinks, what he assumes. But it's going to even take a, 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 a bigger detour than what that is in that this is Jesus, the Son of God. He finds himself in a place that is, that is uncomfortable, it's uncertain, it's confusing, and it's scary. And so he's going through these, this myriad of emotions. They're just popping up. He's, he's angry. He's frustrated. He's sad. He's, he's uh, uh, discouraged. And he, all of this is bombarding his mind in the moment. And he's, he's realizing how hard this is and how difficult this is. And he never thought in his wildest dreams he would be walking this path. Never thought this would be what his life was. But that's what it is. It's difficult and it's hard. But as he's about to have Jesus ushered into his life, if you have Jesus, difficulty does not have to be difficult. If you have Jesus, difficulty does not have to be difficult. And now, that word difficult, what that means is requiring much effort to deal with the situation. Requiring a lot of effort in order to take care of a situation. It's difficult. It's hard. It's something you need a lot of effort to push through, to persevere, to get through it. That doesn't mean you doesn't need any effort. It just means it doesn't need a lot of effort. If you're with Jesus, difficulty does not have to be difficult. Jesus actually tells us in John 16, in this world you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. You will have difficulty. It's going to happen but he says, on the end of that verse, take heart, I have overcome the world. It's difficult if you don't have Jesus. Difficulty will come, hardships will come, but it does not have to be difficult in itself if you're walking with Jesus. Like, for instance, we have you know, a variety of things that take place sometimes here in the sanctuary, and, and a common question when somebody has a wedding or some event uh, here in the sanctuary is about this little platform here that I almost fall off of every week. They want to ask, can you move it? We say, yes, you can move it. it, it it's not easy. You know, we've, we've, it, it's difficult. It's heavy. Um, it's hard to move something like this that is this big, and it's got these little feet that slide up under the stage steps. And if you don't know about it, you're in I'm speaking from personal experience. If you don't know about those feet, you're yanking on it for about 20 minutes before you realize, oh, it slides first, and then you pick it up. And then we slide it out and lift it up the stairs and take it out into one of these hallways, depending on which one has the most room. And I can try to do it myself. Got to move the Christmas flowers here that I step on every week. And move that there. And try to move this thing myself. It, it's not easy. It is possible. Micah knows. We've done it. You, you've done it by yourself. I've done it by myself. It's not easy. You strain your back. You hurt your knees. Uh, it might fall on your toes if you do it just wrong. But it is possible to move this thing by yourself. It does require a significant amount of effort ugh, to do it. See, it's moving a little bit. Anybody see it? Let me feel good. It's moving a little bit. Come on. <laughs> it's not moving very much, but it's moving a little bit. However, if you have a little help, 
it's not quite as hard. Why don't you come give me a hand, Micah? I did warn him beforehand. Micah gets a cheer. All right, what is that about? It's, but <laughs> slide it out. And once you get it far enough out, in order to get it out, you've got to stand the thing up. Wasn't going to let it fall, I promise. <laughs> and then you can slide it around. But then you come into a whole new level of difficulty trying to get it up these steps over here. We've done this before, if you can't tell. Make it flat. We're not going to crush you, Stephanie. You've got to trust us just a little bit. Let's just leave it right there for now. Thanks, Mike. Now you can cheer for Mike. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that. Move these flowers. We'll, we'll definitely move that back before the end of the service, or at the end of the service, because this big hole in the flowers will drive me crazy. <clears throat> you see, that required a lot of effort, even with two people. With one, it requires a whole lot more effort, a whole lot. It's difficult. It, it, that is a difficulty to pick this thing up and slide it out and then pick it up the stairs and get it out uh, the doors. Uh, but it is doable if you have a significant amount of effort. But if you have somebody with you taking it over there, it doesn't require as much effort. The difficulty doesn't have to be difficult. And so if you're walking with Jesus, the difficulty, the thing that is laying in your life that is a problem, that is a hardship, that is bombarding your mind constantly, does not have to be difficult if you've got Jesus with you helping you lift as you go. And so here Joseph is in this difficult situation, facing this immense difficulty of his betrothed wife in a small town is found to be pregnant. It's discovered she's pregnant. And the rumor mill just runs crazy. Word gets back to Joseph. And so what's his response? What can he do to this? He's a godly man, a righteous man. What can he do here? Verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So like I said, in this betrothal process, you had to get divorced in order to separate, in order to break up, to, to get away from each other. And there were two ways to do it in first century. The more common way is you would take the offender, in this case Joseph would take Mary, to the city gates where the town elders were, and they were the ones who were the judges. They decided everything that went on. He would take her to those guys and uh, present his case. There would be witnesses there. Be anybody who walked by the city gates could come and watch this, this, this trial. And uh, they had legal right to stone her to death. That didn't really happen very often in the first century, but it could happen. And so that was one option, to take her there, have this big public trial at the city gates. Everybody can watch it. It, it, it would be similar 
to if we did all of our court cases not in the courthouse but on the front lawn of the courthouse. Anybody go grab some steel wells, eat their burger, and watch what's going on. And so that's what was going on here. But the other option was to do it quietly, to go grab one of those elders, grab a couple of witnesses just, you know, to, to witness the proceedings, to sign the paperwork, and that was it. It would be super quiet. It would just be those people who were the only ones who would know uh, unless they spread it around. And so it says, Joseph, he's a just man. He's unwilling to bring Mary shame, even though she's brought, from his mind, she's brought him shame. She's pregnant, not his baby. And so from his perspective at this particular moment, this is bringing him shame and embarrassment. But even though that's the case, he does not want to reciprocate. He does not want to do the same to her. He doesn't want to do that at all. And so he resolves to divorce her quietly. Now, I love this word resolve. It means reasoned planning. It means he, he was sitting down and he was planning this deal out and he was trying to figure out how to get out of the situation, how to get out of the situation he was now facing, how, how to remove himself from this situation. And so he's thinking about it, he's planning it, he's scheming how to get, trying to figure out the best way to get out of a situation. And, and honestly, how many of us, when we're faced with a difficulty and a hard situation, we do everything in our power, you know, our brain power, to get out of that situation. How can I get out of the difficult situation? How can I get out of this hard situation? How, how can I get out now and not let this thing drag on for months, for years? How can I get out of it as quick as possible? And that's what Joseph here is doing. But think about this for a second, this difficult situation he's planning to get out of. His calling would end up being to the difficulty, the hard situation, the wife pregnant with a baby not his own. His calling would be to the difficulty because redemption was going to come through the difficulty. Not just his own redemption, but redemption for the world would come through the difficulty. Now sometimes, as we see here with Joseph, the difficulty is not an obstacle, it is a calling. Sometimes the difficulty is not an obstacle to be overcome or escaped from. The difficulty is a calling to be stood up in among, to weather through, to persevere for our own personal spiritual benefit, but also for the benefit of everybody watching how they see a Christian responds in that moment. I mean, you can, I mentioned it a few weeks ago, you look at the life of Job, he's never told why he had to endure what he endured. But he endured it so we can now, centuries, millennia later, go back and read it and see how perseverance occurred at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end of his difficulty. Difficulty sometimes is not an obstacle to try to get away from. It's a calling to be in the middle of. And so Joseph is about to be told this, verse 20. But as he considered, as he's processing this information, as he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, now, this totally aside note, how did the angel appear to Mary? It wasn't in a dream, it was in person. The angel appears to Mary in person, but comes to Joseph in a dream. We have no idea why. 
I mean, maybe Mary had enough faith to accept the fact that an angel standing in front of her, and it took Joseph in where he was mentally and emotionally to, he had to have a vision dream in order for him to accept what he was seeing. We don't really know, but it's a different situation than Mary. So the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, this angel of the Lord calls Joseph by an official title, Joseph, son of David. David was the great king, his uh, ancestor. He's a descendant of King David. He has an ancestral right to the Israeli throne. This isn't a title that's thrown around. He probably doesn't hear this every day. Joseph, son of David, your food is ready at the local restaurant. He doesn't hear that. I mean, nobody says that. But this is a reminder from the angel that there is a purpose, there is a calling on him that predates him. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary's wife. Don't be scared to do this, even though you feel embarrassed and you feel ashamed. Don't stop. He says, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So he's kind of giving Joseph an outline. The the baby within Mary is from the Holy Spirit. She's going to give birth, and the baby's going to be a boy. He's going to be a son. You're going to call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The, the name Jesus means the Lord saves. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is also interesting. Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus means the Lord saves. So Emmanuel was who Jesus was. God with us. And the name Jesus was what Jesus did. The Lord saves. God with us, who he was. Jesus, what he did. The Lord saves. Verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. So he did as the angel commanded. So he wakes up from his dream, and Joseph ends the period of betrothal, and he brings Mary into his house. So now they are official. They're married. Now, they're not just betrothed. They're married. Joseph married Mary. And they're now in the same house, and he's taking care of her and, and doing everything a husband should do to take care of his pregnant wife, um, understanding God's plan. Doesn't make it any less difficult. Doesn't make the people in town look down on them any more than they already do. Doesn't make the judgment stop. Doesn't make the rumors stop. Joseph and Mary can scream all day long, hey, it's maybe not be my baby, but it's God's baby. And everybody's like, oh, okay, Joseph. Oh, gee, I don't know what Mary put in your Kool-Aid, but something's a little funky going on in that Joseph household. And so they begin to live with this new reality that they're having to experience. That and understanding that people are going to say what people are going to say, and they have to live what the life God has called them to live. It reminds me of when I was a kid, 
uh, and I can, as a young kid, I can remember I had two younger sisters that being, I, I, I can't remember, I mean, I was less, I mean, I was like eight or nine, somewhere in there. Uh, maybe, no, I was younger than that. You know, maybe like five or six. And I can remember my, my next youngest sister. She was a couple years younger than me. So if I was five, she was three. We'd have a little birthday party for her. She was three years old. And, uh, but being a child, I was jealous that all the, she's getting all the attention. And maybe some of you can relate to this. Maybe some of you grandparents can relate to what I'm about to say. And so I, I you know, would want some attention and, and would want to focus on me. And I didn't like the fact that she got presents and I didn't get presents. And I didn't understand why is she getting presents and me not getting presents. I want presents, even though my birthday is two weeks before hers. I just had some. I want some now. It's her birthday. It's not fair. You're giving her presents. And so my grandmothers <laughs> would bring a little present and sneak it in behind my parents' backs so they didn't see it because I, I wanted it. But what I, had, I did, couldn't fathom was I wanted it all about me, but it was my sister's birthday. It wasn't about me. It was all about her. But I tried to make it all about me, pitching a fit, making a scene, causing a ruckus, never mind the fact that we got cake, never mind the fact that we got to play, Never mind the fact that probably whatever she got, as long as it wasn't a girly toy, I'd probably end up playing with too. It, it, it didn't matter. I wanted it all about me, but it wasn't all about me. And Joseph and Mary are being taught this here because Joseph's calling wasn't about Joseph. And your calling is not about you. Your calling is your purpose. You have been equipped with every gift that you need to fulfill your purpose, to fulfill the reason for which you made. God placed that within you to accomplish your calling and what he's put on you. Your calling is not about you. Joseph's calling is not about him. It's all about Jesus. And we can pitch a fit and we can try to scheme and connive and try to get out of difficult situations or try to make it all about us, but it's not about us, it's about him. It's all about Jesus. Your calling is not about you. Your calling is about Jesus. All about Jesus. Which in this particular passage we see, it begins and ends with Jesus. Back up in verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Verse 25. He called his name Jesus. The passage begins with Jesus, the passage ends with Jesus. Joseph's calling is about Jesus, not about him. And his life would now be dedicated to raising the Son of God all the way up until the point where he died. It's all about Jesus. And so my calling, even though I can try to scheme and connive and get lost and get busy and forget the fact it's not about me, and so when I face a difficult situation that is in front of me that, that may be not how I anticipated my life going, I've got to remember it's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about how other people see me. It's about Jesus. I'm not accountable to what somebody else thinks about how I'm living what God has placed before me. I'm accountable to Jesus. And that's a far heavier burden to carry, far more responsible burden to carry, and a far more freeing one. Because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's all 
about Jesus. How that my, even my seasonal calling in, in the particular season that each one of my kids are in right now and being the father they need in the moment right now that I fail consistently, the calling I have for them is not about them. It's not about me. It's about me injecting Jesus into them. The calling is always about Jesus. So when it comes to your job, it's not about the salary. It's not about how hard it gets. And it gets hard and you jump ship and you go to another one. It's going to be hard there too. I mean, life is hard. That's just the way it is. I don't know if you ever watched the old show Boy Meets World and the, the older brother would say to the younger brother, life's hard, get a helmet, and he would slap him in the head. That's just the way it is. It's hard. Life is hard. You're going to have difficulty everywhere because it's life. But if we have Jesus, the difficulty doesn't have to be difficult. If we have Jesus and realize in the moment that this is about Jesus, it's not about me. It's not about how hard it is. It's not about woe is me. It's about Jesus. We can face it in a different light. Because you may, I don't know if you've ever done this. I've seen people go through the exact same situation, whether it be a financial issue or they've lost their job or, or a cancer uh, uh, diagnosis, and they react in completely different ways. One Will, will act as though it's the end of the world. Everything is coming to an end. And the other person will act in absolute faith as though everything is fantastic and amazing. And the difference is Jesus. One person has their eyes on Jesus and the other person has their eyes on a mirror. And it's doing that we miss the opportunity we have. I mean, the, I remember the woman who was, <laughs> she was a couple of weeks away from death and knew it. But you know what her perspective was? I'm here in this room so those nurses can know Jesus. And my time's running out. So every time they come in the room, I'm telling them about Jesus. Because Jesus put me in this hospital to tell them about Jesus. Jesus didn't put me in the hospital so that I could, you know, uh, uh, have all the attention on me. He put me here so those people can know because they got to come in my room. They have to. Kind of like Paul when he was in prison and he was chained up to these guards for eight hours at a time. God allowed Paul to be put in prison so those guards being brought in at eight hours at the time could hear about Jesus for eight hours at a time. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's not even about the difficulty, like the giant piece of stage and moving it out of the way. It's about Jesus helping me, equipping me throughout the difficult process of moving the thing not about me trying to escape in the middle of moving the thing, but walking with Jesus throughout the whole process. It's all about Jesus. Joseph understood this at the end of his vision from the angel. And so it said, he, when he woke up, as soon as he wakes up, he goes and did as the angel commanded him. He took Mary as his wife. He was not going to allow another second to pass by without him obeying, without him making it all about Jesus. It doesn't matter. He's walking up to get married, and they're going to have the ceremony that day, and people are talking as they're walking down the street, and he's holding his pregnant, you know, engage, his pregnant fiance's hand, walking to get married, and everybody's whispering about the situation. But for Joseph, it didn't matter what they're whispering. All that mattered was Jesus. All that mattered was Jesus. And so when you face difficulty, and that's going to come, whether you face, if you're not facing it now, you're going to get a phone call this week. It's just part of being alive is having difficulty. That doesn't mean it's, you know, you celebrate when you have difficulty. No, we don't want to do that. But you continue to persevere in faith because it's not about me. 
It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Even if I don't see progress, even if it's hard and difficult and, and it gets harder as every day goes by and those thoughts bombard my mind, if only, how can I plan to get out of? How can I scheme to get away from? But sometimes the calling is to the difficulty. And in that moment, I have to rely absolutely and completely on Jesus because if I were to do it under my own strength, I would quit. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. Maybe you're going through a difficulty right now and, and you see no way out and you see no hope. Well, I'm here to tell you that you need Jesus. You need Jesus. That doesn't mean the difficulty is going to evaporate tomorrow, but it does give you access to a level of strength and peace that was not there before. And so if you need to know Jesus and embrace Jesus and have him come alongside you to, to, to help you move and pick up and slide throughout your life and persevere the difficulty, then believe that Jesus is God's son. He died so all your sins would be forgiven. And then he rose from the dead so that you can live after you die and you gain Jesus. You gain Jesus. You get to live with Jesus. In just a second, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, if you want to know Jesus, you want somebody to pray about you, uh, pray with you over your life, what's going on, I will be here. Mike is here. You can come down here and drop to your knees down here at the steps. Maybe right here as a symbol, you know, in this spot where we just move that giant thing and say, man, I've got this difficulty that I'm trying to move. But I need to, I need to see more of Jesus in me. And you need to ask Jesus, for strength in the difficulty as you walk through it. You can come and pray. I'll be here. Micah will be here. And we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to celebrate with what God's doing in you and through you as you continue to walk through this life because your calling is not about you. It is all about Jesus.